focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, first off, uh, joining us in the studio, our regular Friday reporter, Song Bo-kyung joins us. Bo-kyung, hello to you. Happy Friday. Uh, also, a new voice, uh, joining a new voice and a new face, uh, joining us here on uh, Korea Now. Hong Soyoung joins us in the studio. Soyoung, uh, welcome to our program. Hello. Welcome. All right, uh, so we have uh, some, we're going to be, I know a lot of us, uh, everyone is kind of talking about the new season of Arirang Radio and so forth. Uh, not a lot of changes for us here at Korea Now, but uh, you will hear some uh, new voices and uh, see some new faces. Uh, this including some of our uh, reporters here on Focus on Headline. Uh, nevertheless, uh, let's go into our top story this evening. A trilateral meeting being held on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly. The four ministers of South Korea, the United States, and Japan, uh, as they met, uh, they expressed concerns over North Korea's legislation of the new nuclear policy. We talked about this. Uh, Kim Jong-un straight out coming out saying that we are now a nuclear weapon state. Uh, we are not going to be afraid to use our nuclear weapons. Obviously, very concerning here. Uh, what was uh, what else was said at the meeting there? But Pugang, tell us more. Sure. So a three-way meeting was held on Thursday in New York, in which South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin and Japanese Foreign Minister Hayashi Yoshimasa met with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. As you said, this meeting was held on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly. After the trilateral meeting, a joint statement was adopted by the three top officials. In the statement, the three officials expressed concerns over North Korea heightening tensions on the Korean peninsula with its newly legislated nuclear law. The top officials also stressed the importance of trilateral cooperation to deal with North Korea's provocations and to achieve denuclearization of the peninsula. Denouncing North Korea for its ballistic missile provocations carried out in violation of the UN Security Council resolutions, the top diplomats urged North Korea to, quote, abide by its obligations under relevant UN Secretary Council resolutions and call for full implementation of these by the international community, unquote. Secretary Blinken and Minister Hayashi also expressed their support for the goal of the South Korean government's audacious initiative. North Korea was, however, not the only agenda on the table. The three diplomats also shared the view to beef up rule-based economic order and to strengthen trilateral cooperation for the prosperity of the Indo-Pacific region and the world. The joint statement also condemned Russia's aggression against Ukraine, saying that any efforts made to change territorial and regional conditions by force and coercion will be opposed. Experts interpret that this part of the statement intends to hold China in check, as the country recently displayed military demonstrations regarding Taiwan. Okay, uh, rules-based economic order and strengthen trilateral cooperation for the prosperity of the Indo-Pacific region and the world. And yet uh, we have the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't seem like it's going that way. Uh, not to mention, it's interesting that they're still talking about the audacious initiative, uh, despite the fact that we've already seen uh, North Korea certainly shoot that down. Uh, again, I mean, it was one of those things where I was kind of hoping that uh, maybe there was going to be a 2.0 or something like that. Uh, we're going to move on uh, to uh, some news 
news about the U.S. Special Representative for North Korea, Sung Kim, uh, his visit to Seoul from the past uh, uh, September 17th to the 22nd. He was actually here earlier and uh, left yesterday. Uh, had some uh, meetings with uh, South Korean government officials uh, to discuss a broad range of North Korea-related issues there. Uh, so, uh, t- tell us uh, what was discussed in the meeting. Sure, SJ. So Sung Kim, the U.S. Special Representative for the North Korea Ambassador, has visited Seoul from September 17th to 22nd. Sung Kim met with Republic of Korea government officials to discuss North Korea-related matters. According to the U.S. State Department press release, some topics that were discussed were the North Korea's recent escalatory actions, the U.S. and the Republic of Korea's alliance, and significant human rights concerns in North Korea. Sung Kim also met with Minister of Unification Kwon Young-se, Ministry of Foreign Affairs First Vice Foreign Minister Cho Hyun-dong, Special Representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs Kim Gun, and Ambassador-at-Large on North Korean Human Rights Lee Shin-hwa. He also delivered remarks at the World Knowledge Forum on September 21st. Yeah, obviously, uh, North Korea-related issues are still a big thing at this time. But uh, despite all the, the discussions and meetings being held, uh, if North Korea decides they're not going to take part in the discussions, I mean, it's really not going anywhere. Uh, but the USS Ronald Reagan arriving in South Korea, an apparent uh, warning to North Korea, as we've seen a number of provocations uh, take place uh, throughout the year. Uh, let's get the details of this as well, Soyoung. Sure. The U.S. nuclear-powered aircraft carrier Ronald Reagan, or CVN-76, entered at Republic of Korea's Fleet Command in Busan, which is 390 kilometers south of Seoul. The carrier strike group, which arrived in Busan the same day, consisted of Reagan, Ticonderoga, Class Guided Missile Cruiser, Chancellorville, and the Guided Missile Destroyer USS Barry. The aircraft carrier training group will strengthen cooperation between two navies and hold joint naval exercises in East Sea later this month. So just to give you a little background of what Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier is, it was commissioned in July 2003 and it weighs about 97,000 ton. And it is called a floating military base because it carries about 80 aircrafts, including 18E Super Hornet fighter jets and E-2D Hawkeye early warning and control aircraft. That's right. I mean, we've been seeing a lot of these uh, military movements by uh, South Korea and the United States and the region. Uh, this because of all the provocations that we've seen from the North. But uh, the, the other concern is now that there are some movements on this front, uh, whether or not uh, North Korea is going to respond with further provocations. We've already had reports that they've been developing their submarines, which, mm-hmm. again, is used for submarine launched ballistic missiles or SLBMs. Uh, Again, a lot of things happening on the Korean Peninsula, yet not a lot of agreements being put in place. But uh, from what I understand, the, the, uh, the nuclear power submarine, uh, the Annapolis, uh, this is also going to join the EC Joint Naval Exercise. Uh, could you then tell us what the meaning behind the U.S. aircraft carrier's visit to Korea is? Yeah, so the deployment of the carrier here is to demonstrate the strong ties between South Korea and U.S. alliance and prevent North Korea's nuclear and missile threats. And the aircraft carrier's visit to Korea can be seen as a follow-up to the agreement between the leaders of the Korea and the U.S. that in May this year, this U.S. strategic assets will be deployed in a timely and coordinated manner. And the defense minister's agreement in July that the U.S. strategic assets will also be strengthened. 
Again, the only thing that it seems like uh, South Korea and the United States can come to an agreement is uh, when it comes to North Korea-related issues. But uh, I feel like at this time, the, the biggest thing is that uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which is uh, got to get that done and uh, over with uh, really quick. Uh, also, we've been talking about throughout the week, uh, we've had uh, President Yoon sung of course, uh, make his trip over to London for the state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, he shifted over to New York for the UN General Assembly, where he did have the keynote speech. Uh, he's going to go over to Canada. But before that, President Yoon uh, promising an investment-friendly environment here in South Korea. Uh, Pogan, tell us what this is all about. Right. So this is a five-day trip, right? So three days he stayed in New York and two days it's in Canada. Right. And so before heading to Canada, President Yoon attended an event held in New York for American investors that was hosted by South Korea's trade ministry. Seven North American businesses, including chip makers, battery makers, and energy firms, presented their investment plans to South Korea, which was worth more than one billion U.S. dollars. In return, President Yoon said that the South Korean government will give full support to any investment in South Korea to guarantee good results. President Yoon also said that he'll try to cut bureaucracy or red tape and foster an economy led by the private sector and markets to gain the upper hand in the global technology race. Among the seven investors are renowned semiconductor equipment maker Applied Materials and lithium metal battery maker Solid Energy System both of which have plans to create R&D centers in South Korea. Yeah, cutting the red tape, that was part of his uh, campaign pledge uh, from the very start, if I remember. But uh, with this now, of course, the other focus is going to be, as I briefly mentioned, following up on his three-day stay in New York, uh, President Yoon going over to Canada. He has arrived there. Uh, what's his schedule like? Right, so first of all, President Yoon Sagar arrived in Toronto Thursday afternoon. And after landing at Toronto's Pearson Airport, President Yoon went straight to the Vector Institute for Artificial Intelligence at the University of Toronto to hold an AI seminar. In his remarks, President Yoon said that his administration will actively support cooperation between South Korea and Canada in the field of AI and that Toronto will become the mecca where AI experts and big tech companies from all around the world will gather. On Friday local time, President Yoon is expected to visit the capital city of Ottawa and hold a summit with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The two countries' leaders are expected to discuss ways to strengthen economic cooperation and enhance bilateral cooperation on the North Korean nuclear issue. Bogan, I have to say that was the, the most French pronunciation of Justin Trudeau I have, I've, I've, I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, I've practiced in, in my in Great. my life. I almost <laughs> thought he was the, the the French president or something <laughs> like that. Uh, in other news here, Tokyo. Uh, we talked about that uh, meeting between the leaders of South Korea and Japan, a thirty minute meeting. Right. Uh, was there any kind of fruitful results out of that? Well, here's the thing: Tokyo refused to comply with an order from the Seoul Central District Court mm -hmm. for compensating the Korean victims of wartime uh, sexual slavery this time. Uh, tell us mm -hmm. what happened here. Yes, yeah, so according to the Yonhap News Agency this morning, the Japanese government refused to comply with an order of compensation for Korean victims of wartime sexual slavery because one of the address of one of the plaintiffs was translated wrong. Citing the judicial sources, the agency said the court first sent the order to the Japanese government in September last year, asking them to disclose the state assets in South Korea. But... 
Japan took no action because of the cited reason. The court sent a revised order this year in May, but Tokyo did not comply, asserting its sovereignty immunity from all civil suits in foreign courts. A January 2021 ruling ordered the Japanese government to pay about $71,000 in reparations to each of the 12 plaintiffs. Uh, we've talked about, uh, in the, in the, I mean, there's a number of uh, historical issues uh, that are standing right now. It's been actually uh, some time since we last talked about the victims of wartime sexual slavery. We've been talking about, uh, for the most part, the compensation of uh, uh, the Korean victims of forced labor, which uh, was the biggest issue at hand uh, when right. it came, comes to whether or not South Korea and Japan, their bilateral ties will improve. But uh, again, I mean, this is the other issue that's uh, still at hand but i think the biggest the biggest thing out of all this the compensation is one thing but the, the, just the lack of uh, apology uh, right. c- uh, coming from the japanese side eh? that's the biggest thing and yet the saddest part about all this is there's not many victims of uh, forced sexual slavery uh, still alive right now uh, guys let's move on to some news in the economy side here uh, the cosby uh, closing the previous day at 2332 uh, but uh, that's certainly went down to quite a bit. Uh, the one to U.S. dollar exchange rate surpassed the 1,400 mark, almost reaching a 1,410.1. Uh, Young, tell us uh, how the uh, market looked like today. Right. So this morning, the market opened lower at 2,320. But then Cosby dropped to the lowest level this year to date because there are fears that the Federal Reserve's rate hikes could accelerate global recession. Now, Cosby or the Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell by 42.31 points or 1.81% from the previous day to 2,290, which is the lowest point so far this year. Foreign and institutional investors sold shares worth a combined 441.2 billion won, while individual investors bought a net of 431.1 billion won worth of stocks. And as you all know, the Fed raised its target interest rate earlier this week by 75 basis points for a third straight time. And because of that, analysts say that this continuing decline in Kospi can be attributed to the lack of buying interest amid the weakening Korean won. And not only that, there are other factors such as the central banks of other countries have also taken part in raising base interest rates, which is also affecting the overall investor sentiment. For instance, the Bank of England also raised its target interest rate by 0.5 percentage point to 2.25%. And the Bank of England is not the only one. There are other banks following suit. So the market was a bearish one today overall with top automakers such as Hyundai and Kia and battery makers seeing their share price dropping. The South Korean won ended today at 1,409.31 against the U.S. dollar, which is up 0.41 from Thursday's close. So this is what's happening right now. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, when you look at... uh 
it was just a couple of years ago when the, this Korean stock exchange was just kind of like booming, right? Everyone was talking about, everyone was talking about, I'm buying this, I'm buying that. I, you know, everyone sounded like a stock expert and things like that. You had low interest rate. Uh, and so instead of putting money into the bank, what they wanted to do is get better returns from the stock. And then now that we're having, we're seeing increase in the, the what is it, the, the interest rate, obviously naturally so, economy 101, you're going to see people sell. But the, the other problem thing here is, is of course the the skyrocketing uh, the U.S. dollar value against the, the Korean one. I mean, people are just not interested in investing anything in South Korea. They're going to go over to the United States, uh, and yet uh, also at the same time increase in uh, interest rate. We're just going to see more household debt is the other problem. So everything looking very negative at this time. Uh, but also uh, the producer price index uh, dropping in mm-hmm. August for the first time in nearly two years now. Well, let's get the details of that, uh, Soyoung. Right, so there's a lot to unpack here. Um, South Korea's producer prices dropped for the first time in nearly two years in August as falling global crude oil prices. So according to the Bank of Korea on Friday, they reported that the producer price index for commodities and services stood at 120.12 last month, down to 0.3% from a month earlier. So compared to a year earlier, however, the index still remained high at a 8.4%. And the industrial products fell by 1.4%. In particular, the decline in coal and petroleum products was 8.6, while chemical and primary metal products also fell 2.4 and 1.1% respectively. The prices of agricultural and fishery products, however, rose by 2.5% in August, continuing to rise in the rest of the sector. This is because vegetable shipments decreased due to worsening weather conditions such as heavy rain. And in fact, vegetables such as cabbage increased by 32.1, and spinach also was rose by 31.9. So cabbage is already in short supply ahead of the kimchi making season, or kimjangchul in Korean, and the price has soared more than 10,000 won per cabbage. Meanwhile, the prices of electricity, gas, and water gained 3.6%, And moving on to the Domestic Supply Price Index, which measures price fluctuations, including imports, fell 1.0% in a month since November 2020. This is because raw materials, intermediate goods, final goods all fell. Also, total output price index fell 0.6% in August. This is the first decline in eight months since December last year. And some experts predict that the slowdown in food prices is likely to be delayed due to the steep rise in food prices. That's right. I mean, you mentioned the uh, the weather conditions, and uh, it's mm-hmm. not surprising, not just uh, agriculture. You mentioned fisheries, but right. uh, also the, the fishery industry affected by the weather. I mean, if the weather is bad and there's a typhoon, obviously the, the fishing boats can't go out. Right. Uh, that's the reason why you'll see uh, skyrocketing prices here. But the fact is, it's still too expensive. 10001 per cabbage. I think the last time we talked about the... Uh, the, mm-hmm. the upcoming Kim Jong season and the prices of cabbage were, were at 9,001 per cabbage, and apparently now it's at 10,001. So, yes. uh, wow. I'm sure a lot of family. Uh, they're not going to be making massive amounts of that anymore. Uh, guys, uh, we're going to move on here. Talk about uh, news related to Russia. I think there's been a lot of focus. A lot of uh, this and that uh, happening. Uh, there was some good news in that uh, Ukraine was taking part, over, taking back uh, some of the regions uh, in their country. But uh, there's 
a referendum that's uh, already kicked off there. And these are a lot of these uh, Russian-backed states, uh, regions in Ukraine, uh, most notably the, the eastern areas, the Donbass regions of Luhansk and uh, uh, the Donetsk regions as well. But the two other parts, this is a referendum to vote whether or not they are going to be indeed part of Russia. And we've seen this happen back in 2014 with the Crimean Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get a update on this. Pogan, first and foremost, tell us when the vote started and what can we expect from this very uh, referendum? Right. So voting began actually today in the Russian-held regions of Ukraine, which are the Luhansk, Kherson, and partly Russian-controlled Zaporizhia and Don- Donetsk regions. The referendum was, of course, widely criticized by Ukraine and the West, claiming that Russia is doing another violation of international law following the invasion of Ukraine. So the aim of the vote is to ask the residents if they want their regions to be part of Russia. And the referendums come as Putin ordered a partial mobilization, which could add about 300,000 Russian troops to the fight. The balloting will continue for five days through Tuesday. So how it runs, the election officials will be bringing the ballots to people's homes and setting up polling stations near the residential buildings during the first four days only of the referendums. And then next Tuesday will be the only day when the voters will be invited to come to the regular polls. So polls also open not only in Ukraine in these regions, but also in Russia, where refugees from the occupied regions can cast their votes as well. And I believe Taeyong has also other details. That's right. Uh, we're gonna well, we're gonna be talking more about this. But the fact is, I mean, we've seen this happen before, and a lot of people are saying, well, this is kind of a desperation move by Putin. But the biggest, I think, the bigger one is the the the, mo- the partial mobilization decree that was put in place by Vladimir Putin, where you're looking at three hundred thousand people. They're basically civilians. Uh, they have limited training. They have limited experience, uh, and there are they're basically being put into buses right now, being put into a training, I believe, uh, in order for them to be uh, mobilized there. In regards to all that, uh, well, here's the thing. Uh, we have Russia and then we have China, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi uh, having whole talks with uh, Russian counterpart and uh, Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Lavrov over in New York. Uh, Wang Yi's statement about Russia is actually causing quite a bit of uh, tension on this. Uh, so give us the details of this. Sure. So Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi met with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on the 21st local time while Wang Yi was visiting New York to attend the UN General Assembly. In the midst of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Wang Yi defended Russia at a time when there was a strong call for the reorganization of the UN Security Council members to remove Russia. For instance, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky called on members of the United Nations to expel Russia from the Security Council. And Russia is one of the five permanent members of the UN Security Council, which gives the power to veto any security resolution. Zelensky also urged the UN Security Council to remove Russia immediately, saying if the invader is a decision maker of an international organization, one needs to be isolated. And Zelensky strongly urged Security Council members to mete out just punishment for the war crimes. Um, Minister Wang Yi also mentioned that the UN is located in the United States. However, UN itself belongs to all of us. 
and he stated that Russia is a permanent member of the UN Security Council and should continue to play an important role within the UN. And he also added that no one should deprive Russia of these rights. And Wang Yi's statement of supporting Russia can be interpreted as a counter-argument to Germany, Japan, and Ukraine's call for Russia's removal from the United Nations Security Council as a permanent member. Yeah, I mean, you know, we see this uh, oftentimes uh, when it comes to like UN Security Council resolutions against, let's say, like uh, Russia. China is always going to veto it. If it's anything on China, Russia is going to veto it. If it's anything on North Korea, and there's been a lot of uh, move to try to add uh, UN Security Council uh, resolutions on North Korea, you're going to see both Russia and China veto against this, right? And so uh, no- nothing new here, but uh, something just like you said, uh, the two foreign ministers also held a meeting there. So what was discussed and what was the result of the meeting? So Russian foreign ministry stated that both countries discussed bilateral, international, and regional issues. Also, the situation in Ukraine, Afghanistan, and the Korean Peninsula and compliance with the non-proliferation of nuclear regime were discussed. In particular, the Russian foreign ministry said both countries strongly condemned the destructive foreign policy of the U.S., including provocative activities in Taiwan Strait. And both countries also talked about high efficiency of mutual cooperation on various UN stages and decided to gradually strengthen practical and diplomatic cooperation in the context of an agreement between the leaders of two countries. Wang and Lvov also talked about Ukraine. Uh, China held a fair position on the Ukrainian conflict, promoting talks and peace. Wang Yi told Lavrov, it is hoped that all parties will not give up dialogue efforts and insist on resolving security concerns through peace talks. Lavrov replied saying that Russia is still trying to solve the problem through dialogue and negotiation. And they also discussed the situation on the Korean Peninsula. What, what, what dialogue and negotiation are we talking about here? I think the last time that the Ukrainian side and the Russian side, uh, they were holding talks about negotiation and ending things. I mean, nothing was right. going well. And even the, uh, the, the Zaprosia uh, nuclear power plant, which uh, they're trying to get the Russian forces out, I think even with the talks on that, uh, it's just like no go. Uh, with this. But China, though, uh, they have been very cautious, uh, relatively cautious when it comes to taking a stance right. on the Ukraine war, because I think they also don't want to be sanctioned. Uh, but right. like, I think the EU is uh, looking at uh, the eighth round of sanctions against Russia right now. And uh, China, they're all already going through some economic problems with their zero COVID policies and all the lockdowns uh, and things like that. And so the last thing that they need are fa- uh, the sanctions. And so they're trying to be as neutral as possible. But Let's talk about a little bit more on this uh, ongoing conflict uh, in in Ukraine, because first and foremost, uh, this referendum, okay, you have referendums in four regions, which, uh, again, are relatively backed by Russia. There's a lot of people who have, uh, you know, they side more with Russia than Ukraine. In fact, some of them actually consider themselves Russian and not Ukrainian. The meaning behind this referendum, Pogyang, uh, tell us more about this. So first of all, I think it's important to understand that the referendum is being held during the war. So the war is still mm-hmm. ongoing, these four regions. And of course, out of these four regions, uh, the two regions are actually Donetsk, 
DPR and Luhansk LPR. And these are the already independent pro-Russian regions. Yeah. Okay. So the questions of these votes will be slightly different for these two pro-Russian regions and the other two that haven't declared independence yet. But still, mainly the question will be about, do you support the annexation to the Russian to Russia. So that will be mainly the uh, the question of the vote, but mm-hmm. slightly asked differently, I believe. And uh, we should also understand that. So I think if the vote goes as Russia has intended, mm-hmm. then it will make Russia easier to claim that whenever Ukrainian forces make further attacks and further and they want to, you know, they regain control of their regions, then Russia will say that the Ukrainian forces are attacking Russia itself because now these regions are no longer Ukraine but Mm. belong to Russia. So it will be easier for them to claim that. And uh, if this annexation of these four regions that are still in the middle of war, if this happens, then it will be another 15% of sovereign Ukraine being annexed to Russia. And I think maybe you remember that this is not the first time Russia is carrying out a referendum. Crimea. Because in, back in 2014, there was the Crimea a referendum. And back then, I think here the important thing also that we should understand is that we can't really trust the real results of the vote. Mm-hmm. Because back then also, Putin and the Russian government claimed that they had gained 97% of support from the Crimean residents back Mm -hmm. then. But later on, Russia's Human Rights Council said that actual support was only about 30% and not 97%. So we can't really trust the real results of this vote, but still Russia would claim that, you know, they have the full support from these four regions. But nevertheless, back then, Russia did seize Crimea. And so now Kremlin is doing something similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean one of the things that when you were talking about the the referendum in itself, one of the things mm-hmm. that you said is they go to your house and they give you the ballot. And what do you think happens there when you're they're giving you the ballot and they go to your house? Uh, do you think they're going, I mean, we, we, we believe in fair voting, and so uh, <laughs> we will uh, respect anything that you say, and, uh, you know, go, go ahead and vote, and there's going to be no retaliation from us. Uh, are you, you going to see that, or is there going to be some kind of uh, threat? We don't know, right? But the fact is, right now, it is interesting that uh, they're taking, I don't think Putin thought that the war right now was going to take this long. For mm-hmm. him, it was in and out very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because, like, the entire world is now against uh, uh uh, mm-hmm. Russia in regards to this, they're going like you said. If the referendum goes forth, and then the four regions that they they really want, uh, the vote says that you know the the people there wanted to be part of Russia. Then they're going to go. Oh look, look, listen. Uh, we, the whole time we were fighting is because we just wanted what we want. Uh, you know what was ours in the first place. And like you said, if the war goes on, then it looks like Ukraine is invading. Uh, the region. So again, it's, it's a strategic movement. I'm also very concerned about the mobilization mm-hmm. uh, decree that right. uh, mm-hmm. you know Vladimir Putin has put in place as well. Uh, but this, let's get more, I guess, at the situation on Russia's frontier. Uh, what do you have for us? So right now in Russia, hours after Putin shocked Russia by announcing the first mobilization, as, as Jay said, since the Second World War, Russians are attempting to leave the country to avoid a military call-up. 
for the Ukraine war, and queues have formed a border crossings since President Putin announced a partial military mobilization. So strong protests are continuing, and there is a long line of young people trying to escape abroad, and plane tickets are being re- like sold out. And another issue that I wanted to talk about was the, the um, UN Security Council. Will Russia be kicked out? Of the U.S. Security well, Council. But the, yeah, but then the thing I, is, like, China has, like, veto rights, right? So China is not going to go. They're, they're not going to let them be kicked out. I, that's the other thing. But uh, I, I know for, I mean, they've already been, like, Russia's already been. Remember, you guys, it used to be G8. Right. Right? G8. It used to be the G8 summit. And then they kicked Russia out. And that that's what, that's the reason why it's G7. Seven. Uh, and then the... During the Trump administration, Trump tried to invite Russia back in, and that that didn't go well. Uh, but uh, it, you're right. I mean, but even if if Russia does get kicked out of the UN Security Council, will it make any kind of changes? Uh, I don't know. I, but uh, so I, I don't think so. Yeah, because China can can Russia be removed if. It's going to be no. It's really tough because you have China there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then that's just the thing. You know, China is the one few ally that uh, Russia has at this time. And then there's North Korea, right? And North Korea is kind of like they're, they're showing support of the the Luhansk and Donetsk region. They they acknowledged uh, Luhansk and the Donetsk region as uh, independent republics of uh, Russia, right? And they had mm-hmm. this whole like ceremony uh-huh. with like a certificate and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but the fact is true, Soyoung. You do make a very good point uh, in that people are lining up uh, to leave Russia at this right. time. They're, they're really picking randomly out of everyone. Uh, I've seen videos and footages of people going into buses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are people with limited experience of uh, military training, and they're probably going to have to go into Ukraine. What does that normally mean? It means, uh, unfortunately, death, right? Uh, but then there's also another side of the story where uh, there are people in Russia hailing this referendum, saying mm-hmm. that it's a historical milestone. We welcome the wow. Ukrainian refugee, anyone uh, oh. being annexed to Russia. So there is this part of the story as well. And then there are people, you know, escaping the country. Well, if you're, if you're going to report and say that, mm-hmm. I mean, these were supposed to be Russian territory and they're going to get back what was supposed to be there, which, by the way, Russia has like one of the most controlled media, right? Mm-hmm. So, and right. so, whatever media that they're watching over there is heavily controlled by uh, mm-hmm. the, the right. Kremlin, and so it's really going to sound like uh, one of those things. It, it, it's oh, I don't want to put it into like the same level. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, the liberation, like it's for them, it's like liberation right. day, right? right. And that's that's how they're going to they're uh, how they're going to put this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is interesting, Pokemon, like what you mentioned with the, the referendums, the ninety seven percent. I don't think anybody, like even with like Putin, when he wins like these elections, mm-hmm. I don't even think he wins by that margin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would be scared to go against Putin, to be honest with you. That guy's yeah. scary, but. Uh, the saddest part about all this is the fact that the war will continue to go on and uh, mm. there's going to be many more lives uh, lost because of this. Uh, nevertheless, Pogyong Sayang, thank you very much for coming in today with your reports and your insights on some of these issues. Please stay safe and we'll see you guys again. Have thank a good you. weekend. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.